I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... So the chamber has got a lot of things going, and the next thing up is going to be, you know, like the National Spelling Bee? Well, we're going to have a National Civics Bee. Go get online and get a copy of the test that you have to take to become a citizen. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. Today's conversation is with Tom Donahue. He is the former president and CEO of the United States Chamber of Commerce. You've heard of him. Incredible impact with 400,000 members of small businesses, medium and large businesses. We talked with Tom about what was different about his arrival in D.C. at the chamber and what he accomplished during his many, many years there. We also talked about some of his concerns about civics learning and how a lack of civics capacity and civics understanding can in fact affect the next generation of business leaders in America. And perhaps as important or maybe more important, we talked a lot about some of the regulation, the legal issues and some of the challenges that he as representative of hundreds of thousands of U.S. small businesses, medium and large, tried to get fixed. It's Tom Donahue from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Here's our conversation. Tom, thanks for joining us. I'm very pleased to be here. Yeah. Thank you. So the chamber, uh, under your under your domain, became, uh, as John Podesta said, uh, I may disagree with a lot of things that Tom Donahue says, but I know that he's built it into one of the most important institutions in the city. When you joined the chamber in the late 90s, what what was its core strength? That what what appealed? Uh, what was appealing to you about it to take the job? Well, I had an advantage over many of the other candidates, and that I had worked for them for eight years before I went to the truckers. So I knew Lesher very well. I knew the system. I knew what was inside. And I had watched what made it, uh, what caused it some problems. Yeah. And the biggest issue was that, uh, and it's pretty simple, they had lost some members over a big argument on health care and therefore they had lost a lot of money. And uh, it's sometimes harder for the people that were there during the problem to fix it. And it, uh, it Lesher was a good man, but and he had been sick and it was a difficult place. And I had an advantage. I knew what to do. Mm-hmm. How many members were there when you showed up and what did it grow in size to? Well, it, we have the chamber has about four hundred thousand little members. Wow! It has um, thousands and thousands of big companies, and it uh, has relationships with many, many more through our state and local chambers and the major trade associations in Washington. You, it seems like the chamber is strongly aligned with the business roundtables of the world, National Association of Manufacturers. Are those the types of associations you're talking about? Well, first of all, those two organizations are part of the team. We have a fundamental value system that says nobody sells against those guys because we need to be a partner with them to take difficult things on together when that has to be done or whoever stands alone is really in trouble. But as long as the three organizations look at the complicated issues 
generally with a common view, it's hard to attack one. Now, there are thousands and thousands of associations in the United States, some in Washington, some in New York, some in Chicago, some on the West Coast. And I would say there were, we had a group of 100, which was like really 120 or 30, which we worked with, and they were major supporters of us. And we had thousands of others that whenever their issue came up, they'd be there. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the, the reputation or at least the sort of the profile of the chamber often sounds to the un, uninitiated out there, the unschooled, the unwashed masses about small business. And it sounds like with 400,000 members, you had many small businesses as part of your organization, correct? Oh, tons of them. Yeah. And then we had many more that were engaged with those other organizations, state and local chambers, associations. Uh, look, what people have to understand, a lot of people say, hey, we, we really love small businesses, but we don't like big businesses. Well, that's interesting. Small businesses have thousands and thousands and, in fact, millions of uh, jobs. Yep. And because of large businesses. I mean, you look at Boeing, yeah. you look at Caterpillar, you look at American Express, those people hire thousands and thousands of small businesses. Right, right. It's a, uh, it's a system. You can't do it with, you know, it, it's, think of distribution issues. You've got to have massive places where the product is made or where the major uh, companies that can do big things with lots of capital are, but then they need a distribution system. Right. And small businesses, let's say you had a construction business, a little truck you're running around with. You can say, oh, I'm not doing any stuff with small, big businesses. Yeah, you are. You, you, you go to the major sources of where they operate and they have people that help you design what you're gonna do and they sell you the lumber and the nails. It is an integrated system that, uh, that uh, works very well. Yeah. And you notice what's happened now with the problems with the Russians as some of these uh, restrictions are being put on their ability to come up with product, to sell it in a distribution right. system. And that's going to be a great uh, example of how what we do really works. Well, we're going to return to that, but I, I just as a quick thing for the small business, I used to say when I worked at the SBA, a lot of small businesses think they're going to be big businesses someday. So it doesn't, you know, to say small businesses like there's a big gap between them and, quote, big businesses, to your point, they all end up doing business together. Um, it's funny. I was talking with folks at Boeing the other day, and they said, you know, like you suggested, do you know how many, how many subs and subs of subs and subs and subs we have for anything we build? It's a whole network which I'm sure you saw your members asking you to help promote their strengths. So what were some of the issues that members brought up that became key for your members in the first chunk of your career, the first four or five years at the, at the chamber? You said healthcare was one. Yeah. Well, that had the, the previous problem that the chamber had was, uh, was a healthcare deal with, uh, Hillary. Um, but the issues with us in the very beginning, was to go out uh, and convince the American business community, the larger guys first, that uh, we're going to do things in a way 
that uh, they're going to want to pay us a good deal of money. When I came back to the chamber, I brought six six-figure checks with a letter that said, this is for this year and we'll do it one more year and then the future will be on how you perform. Mm -hmm. And that sent a message to the people in the building and to other companies that watch this, that this was going to be different. Um, and then we took a uh, theory that said, if we have all these members, um, we got to have a bigger board. And the board of the chamber doesn't run it. Mm -hmm. It holds it in trust for the American business community. And we have an executive committee. Uh, and so we went into whatever the... The problems were facing the business community, and they're always different. Mm -hmm. And we followed that with one change in place. We did whatever we had to do to help, you know, with the, the uh, roundtable and the NAM. We got together and we took big issues. But what we did is we said, if you, if you, uh, running a big or a small company, have a particular problem, if at all possible, we'd help you with it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people said, you can't do that. I mean, if you're doing separate things for all these people, you'll never. I said, you can do that. It's called customer service. Right, right. And Shocking. Ju just yeah. knowing that you said, here, let's look at it together. Let's think what we have to do. Changed everything. Mm -hmm. But the issues were clear. They were trade. Mm -hmm. They were investment issues. It was regulation um, all over the place. And we went after those regulations and we had our law firm mm. to, if the, a major corporation got into a law firm, a big ugly thing, and uh, they got to the point they were trying to get into the, to the Supreme Court, they had a three to 4% chance of getting in the Supreme Court. Mm. If we did it, it was 30 to 40%. There you go. Chance. That's better. That's better. Yeah. And when we do it, the chance of winning goes way up. And yeah. we did the same thing on going after the, at a lower court appeals deals, going after the regulatory agencies. Well, let's stick on regulation because you you and your colleagues definitely carved out a, um, a profile of trying to slim down regulation so businesses, small or big, could have a lot more flexibility. What were some of the things, uh, what were some of the victories against regulation that you and your colleagues were most proud of over the time? Well, we first of all changed the laws all across this country, state by state, on class action lawyers Ah, who, uh, who really worked out a heck of a business. I mean, I admired them as business people. I mean, they were, they were going in and uh, uh, suing uh, companies uh, on this class action deal. It was extortion. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll go after you and, and, uh, you're, if you, if you don't behave, you're going to be in trouble because all of your investors are going to be after you. So pay us this much. Well, we said, nah. And, uh, we went in there and we played hardball all over the country. We went into the elections for, for class action lawyers in many of the states, it was an election system. Yeah. And we went in there, and the class action lawyers were putting tons of money in there. Well, we out-tunned them, and we went in there and beat them. Yeah. And, uh, and then we, 
we got into the regulatory stuff on everything from transportation uh, to trade uh, to uh, to uh, corporate regulation. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was phenomenal. Yeah, remember the chamber had about 550 people working for us, and they were really smart, able folks. By the time we got finished, we started paying serious money and hiring serious people. Yeah. Well, you had one of, I think, one of the most iconic buildings in D.C. I went there for a number of events, and I always used to say, this is a great piece of real estate. Being close to regulators and legislators and lobbyists had to be pretty important in being productive. Let me say for the listeners, right across the street from the White House, we built it for that purpose, and clearly, uh, it's a hundred years old next year. Wow! And we just spent a ton of money refurbishing all the outside and the inside in that building because we're going to be there for a long time. Well, it was a, it's a wonderful place to to entertain, to convene, uh, whatever. So. We're talking with Tom Donahue. Tom uh, was the chairman, CEO, president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce from 1997 to 2019. We have so much to talk about going forward. His foundation, civics training in America, which uh, he and I agree is completely lacking. But more of our conversation after this break on what's working in Washington. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. Back in our conversation with Tom Donahue. Tom is the former president and CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I'm Mark Walsh, your host here on What's Working in Washington. Tom, once again, great to have you with us. Really pleased to be here. Well, the, the name of the show is What's Working in Washington, and sometimes we, uh, we often forget that things do work in Washington. I know that your career as an, uh, as an ex- executive at trade associations, large and small, or I guess both large, you probably saw a lot of uh, the ways the sausage is made. What are some things that you can now say about sort of how Washington works that you might have been constricted or unable to be vocal about when you were in charge of the chamber? Well, one of the realities is uh, having that chamber job gave me an opportunity to be pretty vocal um, when I was there. Yeah. I tried uh, to do it with uh, good taste and, uh, and to recognize the, the people on both sides of the aisle and uh, in both parties needed a hearing and needed to be treated pretty much the same, except at the election times, uh, we got somewhat partisan. Yeah, you had to choose. That's true. The system is something that the people that founded this country had in mind. And they really, how did it last this long? But we always thought that the integrity of the system, that democracy and free enterprise, 
for the two values that if you held them together, you can get away with a lot of failures. Mm -hmm. And when you think about this city, all of the things that people talk about and say, oh, these people don't agree and you can't get anything done here, saving and supporting those two values of the democracy and free enterprise required a, a sort of a mix master where everybody got together and raised a lot of hell and called each other names, which they started doing right at the beginning of our country. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you look around the world, the huge countries that are led by dictators don't have any of those problems, but they don't have the freedoms, the freedom to speak, the freedom to act, the freedom to move, the freedom to start a business or get out of a business. And we believe fundamentally that those issues were just critical. And so we fought for them. We fought for them in the Congress. That's where the fights were. We fought for them in the White House. That's where the debates went on. We fought for them in the courts. And that's one of the fundamental issues we have in this country that you don't really have in many other places. And so when we think about and look at Washington and say, why doesn't it work? It does work. Mm -hmm. we, we do a lot of things that don't or not seen in the newspaper every day. There have been probably in, in this administration, there have been, and everybody says it's all not bipartisan anymore, probably been 15 major bipartisan bills mm -hmm. that have gotten done. On the other hand, it's not very nice, some of the, you know, sausage making. Mm -hmm. I, I am more concerned about the sausage making right now than I have been in a long time, and that's because instead of having two parties, we really have four. So we have Republicans and far-right Republicans. And we've always had a few, but a lot. And we have Democrats and far-left Democrats, and they're fighting with each other. Mm -hmm. And then they come back and fight across the aisle, mm. and it makes it a little harder. Yet we're getting a lot of things done. Mm. We will get a lot of things done. We'll have an election in 2022, and already people are sort of reorganizing their, their mouth and what they're saying so that the election might be good for them as opposed to someone else. But we will have that election, and we will have an election in 2024. And we have to understand that that separates us from all the arguments and all the criticism uh, that uh, are laid on Washington. There is also the issue that in Washington, there's sort of a, a backroom government, and that's the major associations. It's the unions. It's uh, all of the particular uh, groups. You know, you have religious groups. You have you have ambassadors from all over the world. Lobbyists. It, so, lobby yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. And by the way, lobbyists is a, a respected term in my right. vocabulary because what are you doing? You, you People you represent, you're going up and telling the House, the Senate, the White House, the regulatory agencies, everybody, um, that there's something good going on. And finally, you got to look at what gets done that – people don't much look at. Whenever there is a major catastrophe in this country, the federal government stands up and delivers. Mm -hmm. The military stays out of the politics, except on trying to get their, their materials made and their budgets up. 
Um, and we never played politics with the military except to help them get their budgets. And, and I think uh, we could look at that. We just got an infrastructure bill. Republicans and Democrats worked on that for 23 years. We had a major organization. It had union members. It had, it had companies. It had people that make roads. It had all worked together for 23 years to get that deal done. Mm-hmm. And so the place is full of good people. Wow, what a ringing endorsement. Uh, that's Tom Donahue. That's the voice of Tom Donahue giving us that summary, which is very encouraging. Tom's former president and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. I agree with a lot of what you said. I think there's a little more friction sometimes personally than um, certainly more than in the past, as you suggest. I think the friction sometimes has some tough outcomes. But speaking of that, that the sausage making and your description of it's always had that conflict, which often is productive conflict, is civics. Um, we had chatted about how so few people, be it in sixth grade or 12th grade or college or graduate school or just citizens walking the street, know very little about how the actual nation operates. What are some what are some thing what are some positive places you're seeing civics education or civics awareness growing, or do you think it's actually a growing problem that we need to be more cognizant of? Uh, I think the answer is it's a problem we need to be more cognizant of, but there's progress being made. Uh, so the, both. Yeah, the chamber has a rather aggressive, well-financed operation. You see, we don't teach civics in public schools and many private schools right. uh, much anymore. Uh, we, don't, uh, uh, we don't teach very much history. Some history books are written starting after the Second World War. And you know, if you erase your history, you're destined to relive the bad parts of it. Agreed. So the chamber has got a lot of things going. And the next thing up is going to be, you know, like the National Spelling Bee? Yes. Well, we're going to have a National Civics Bee. Love it. Now, here's the key thing. Uh, And I want to tell everybody that's listening, if you have grandchildren or children, go get online and get a copy of the test that you have to take to become a citizen. Wait a minute. This is exactly my – I tell people, if you gave that to American citizens today, I bet 40, 50, 60 percent would fail. I bet that that's true. But let me tell you my experience. Uh, I had one of our group of grandchildren, three, and their parents – and uh, myself, and we were uh, down in Florida, and, and every day we'd walk over to this place and have lunch. So I brought the test, and I said, listen, I said we're going to play with this test. I'm going to read the questions, but I'll tell you before you answer whether I knew the answer or not. Got it. And many of the answers I didn't know. Fascinating. Yeah, uh, and I know a lot of the answers. So the age of the children was... 18, 14, no, 16, excuse me, and 12. Yeah. Um, And so we started it. We did it for two days, and it was great. And uh, really, you know, and by the way, I'm not sure you'd pass it. but I'm convinced I probably wouldn't. Yeah, but you win in a minute if you you studied for it, so you knew the name of your congressman. So then— the third day we came back and because we each came from a different place and the 12-year-old said, we didn't finish that test. Where is it? I said, it's on my desk. 
I'll get it. And he runs off and gets it and comes back. I'm telling you, that's what we have to do. And yeah. there, we've got 30 states, 32 states, that have agreed to get into a deal that says to graduate from high school, you'd have to either pass that test or one exactly like it. And the reason you would do that is because people would say, well, if you did that, you passed or you should be a citizen. But, but that's the idea. Let's everybody learn something. And there's a critical issue. You know, what I always told the people that work for me, if you stop learning on Thursday afternoon by Sunday uh, Monday morning, yeah. you're in real trouble. Yeah, I, and, I, Tom Donahue, that I, you and I are in full alignment on, on that issue, and I look forward to learning more about what the chamber is doing. We have a little bit of time left, so let's touch on a couple of things. First oh. of all, Suzanne Clark, your replacement, she seems to be killing it uh, as she's taken over from you. Fair enough? Uh, yes, she's very, very smart. She's uh, on two very big corporate boards. Yep, she's worked there for the better part of 30 years, um, and with me yeah. for the better part of 30 years. And uh, and she took a little time off and went and did some other things, created a business for the guy she was working for, and then she he gave it to her. She ran it for a couple of years and sold it. She had an experience of running a small right. business. She had an experience yeah. of doing these things. And eventually we had a choice. We had to hurry up and... And put her in, or we're going to lose her. Right. And uh, well, I'm glad she's taken over. And and as as we've touched on, uh, I ask every guest here on what's working in Washington as we wrap up. Um, magic wand time. If you ruled the world today, everything, or maybe even just the U.S., and you could do, and you could change one thing that's happening and stop it, or add something that's not going on and start it, what would it be? I would. Uh, Without regulating anything, I would like to wave my hand and go back to a period of time in television and press and radio to where people got to the facts uh, and didn't uh, use those elements to, um, to uh, fabricate a lot of the arguments that people are making. Now, look. I understand that, and I'm comfortable with newspapers and, and, and cable TV guys putting forward their prejudices or their opinions. Opinions, yeah. yeah. Uh, when the when it becomes absolutely a deal to uh, to make a lot of money, which I'm all for, but to do it in a way that it's not in the interest in any way of our country. I'd change it. Well, if we can go back in time, I am with you, because uh, I think the media used to be a more trusted element of our of our national conversation. Tom Donahue, thank you for being with us today on What's Working in Washington. Really glad to be here. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.